Welcome to this very special episode of A Shot in the Arm podcast, coming to you from the Nairobi Street Kitchen, Nairobi, Kenya. I'm Ben Plumley, and I'm here with the Global Listening Project. It's a new initiative, co-founded in fact by Heidi Larson, friend of A Shot in the Arm podcast and founder of the Vaccine Confidence Project. And the initiative is designed to help societies and communities build real resilience to future crises and emergencies, including but not limited to pandemics. We've been here this week with the support of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, for which we're hugely grateful, to listen to the concerns, the views and the hopes of that most important of sections of society, girls and young women. Our first guest today is Dr. Lillian Otiso, the Executive Director of LVCT Health uh, here in Nairobi. Lillian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure. So tell us a bit about LVCT Health and, and your role, what you do. Uh, thanks. So LVCT Health, for those who've been in Kenya long enough, knew it as Liverpool VCT Care and Treatment, is a Kenyan NGO that has been involved in HIV work, sexual reproductive health, and uh, just addressing vulnerable and marginalized populations for a long time. We're actually celebrating 20 years since we got registered this year, but that is 25 years since the work actually started, when we were setting up VCT centers across the country and getting people to be aware of the HIV and to get themselves tested. And since then, we've grown to make sure that we cover the comprehensive HIV services that people need, and then a lot of focus on HIV prevention, gender-based violence, sexual reproductive health, and now more and more mental health, which is emerging. Oh, well, it's terrific. Thank you for, for joining us. And in fact, we've been trying to get you on the podcast for about a year or so. So it's great uh, that you're here. So terrific. I'm so glad and I'm glad it's here in Nairobi. Yeah. Well, our second guest is um, actually a friend of our sister podcast, Vax Up, Farida Unzilani, who is Senior Digital Manager at Shujaz. Farida, welcome to A Shot in the Arm podcast. Yeah, so glad to be here once again and pleased to see you, Ben. It's great to yeah. see you. Now, do you want to tell us a little bit about what Shujaz is? Am I pronouncing it rightly? Shujaz? Uh, yes, you've got it right. <laughs> what does Shujaz mean in Swahili? Shujaz actually means heroes. And it is just a space that allows them people to have conversations that they would never have anywhere else. Offering them a very safe space to have discussions about things that matter to them, from sexual reproductive health to governance to uh, financial fitness to mental health issues and those kinds of things. Yeah. We're a huge fan of, of Chu Jazz. And I got to say, I follow uh, DJB on Twitter. Uh, uh, and he's one, I, I'm, I'm one of his um, lead fans, I yeah. think. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to share that with him and tell him that he has a super funny new Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I want to advertise that too widely. <laughs> and last but not least, the MTV Sugar story and heritage continues loud and clear. And we're joined by a really extraordinary um, alumni of MTV Sugar, Antonio Sol. Anto, welcome. What's that? <laughs> Bringing the noise to the podcast here. You began life as a cast member of MTV Sugar here in Kenya. What have you got up to since then? Wow, I mean, MTV Sugar opened so many doors. I ended up on TV and radio. So people now mostly know me as an on-air personality. Um, but I'm also a singer-songwriter who's released two albums. Um, yeah, I'm a podcaster with a podcast called Unlock Your Soul. 
where all we basically do is answer life's biggest questions using life's little lessons. And that's what I'm, I'm about. I'm about, you know, equity and justice and youth and digital trends. Yeah. yeah. Well, which is what we're, we're here to talk about. Um, just before we do that, let me just give another shout out to your podcast. Yeah. Because this is, you've really just launched it, right? Yeah, yeah. Literally, it's called Unlock Your Soul with Antonio Soul. Okay, so yeah. make sure you uh, subscribe and give Antonio Soul five stars. And of course, us as well. That, yeah. that goes without saying. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's get into it. Um, we were here, the team from the Global Listening Project, with funding from the Gates Foundation, to whom we're extremely grateful, to look at how social and gender norms affecting teenage girls and young women could both hinder and help them as they, as they grow up and as they build their own resilience um, in life. And um, I guess, you know, a couple of observations that I'd love to get your, your thoughts about. The first, sort of more generally, is okay. So this is this is ten years since I've last been in Nairobi, and I sense such an incredible passion and vitality, particularly from uh, teenagers and young adults. There really seems to be um, uh, an, an incredible flourishing of talent and content here, and then that's sort of counterbalanced. I mean, we're recording this the day after a uh, a protest in downtown Nairobi. Uh, on the cost of living crisis. Um, so there are issues there. There is the drought. And of course, there are continuing issues, um, you know, with unwanted pregnancies and HIV. So have I got that tension right? What do you think, Lillian? Yes, Ben. And yeah, you've had a very interesting week here. I think we've changed a lot. I was just reflecting on how old sugar is and how we've been using it for long and, and what has changed over time and what has stayed the same. Uh, the... We had a youth bulge, which we still do. We have our majority population is young people. The issue of unemployment is quite high and it creates such a crisis for everyone. Um, in terms of our work, and we do a lot of work with young people and we've worked with them over the years and seeing that whole growth and transformation and their interests. So HIV is still a problem in the country, uh, but people think that it's not. Actually, we hear that, oh, HIV is done now, so we don't have anything to worry about. And that's because we don't promote it as much as we do. Now it's more targeted, but it's still a problem. And the young people, their focus is more on preventing pregnancy than HIV. Um, but at the same time, the issues of sexual reproductive health remain big issues. How do I prevent pregnancy? Should I have sex or not? It's like we've stood still. That conversation has been the same forever since I started working really and, and up to now, and we still have a crisis of teenage pregnancy. But now what's compounding it is that the cost of living is crazy uh, and people, young people are feeling disenfranchised, that they're finishing school and there's no hope for them. So it, it makes things a lot harder uh, to, to start living life. And those are the questions that come through. Like in our case, we run a, a the one-to-one -one youth hotline, which is it's a hotline on a digital platform with a very big following on, on the website, which I'd encourage all of you to check out, the one-to-one -one KE. Then... The, the questions that, that are coming through on employment, um, education opportunities, financial opportunities, even more than the health ones. So we use that as a way of getting in and talking about health. Mental health has really, really come through, and especially from COVID up to now. 
and the crisis and increased suicide rates and depression, which fortunately people are now acknowledging, but we also have very few options. Uh, so we've seen a challenge with girls compared to boys. The aspect of, of first, we are, we are a patriarchal society and some of those things still remain. So a lot seems to favor the, the boys in terms of the community and what they're expected to do, sex and coercion. But on the other hand, now in terms of the boys, we have a crisis as well, which has come up. I know the whole talk of boy child now is there in terms of what can we do. The, there's aspects of alcoholism and drinking, but also not the programming and the responses for girls have to include the boys. Yeah. So things that we have to keep looking at. I, I want to come back to that in, in just a minute. And, and, and I wonder, Anto, does this, does this resonate with you? I mean, the people that download your albums, download your podcasts, see you on TV. Yeah. What, what, it, what feedback are you getting? I mean, I've just come from hosting uh, an amazing conference, literally for men by men. It's called Man Cave. It was the second edition that I hosted. And, you know, I, I sort of tend to agree and also not agree with you in the sense that, um, you know, when you look at, you know, girls' issues in Kenya, there's been a lot of, you know, spotlighting on the issues. We have a lot of empowerment. We do have a lot of programs that are catered for girls in Kenya. And the truth is the boy child has been left alone for the longest time. But also not to say that it's for me, I always say that instead of complaining, what are the men doing about it? So there's also the issue of, fine, the girls are well taken care of in terms of the programs available for them, but who's stopping the men from doing the job of taking care of the boys? So there's, there's that huge issue, there's a gap and there's a vacuum that is that a lot of men are now trying to fill in terms of providing these platforms and opportunities for men to be able to understand themselves more. But also you can tell, I mean, there's, there's just a lack of understanding, I think, and I, I think it starts from home. Um, we have a very broken system in terms of the family setup, and not necessarily when it comes to gender roles, but really when it comes to how boys and girls are raised up from the home, uh, you know, from the home scenario. Because you'll find even the disenfranchisement of girls, it starts with the, with the, with the parents, it starts with the, how men look at girls. You know, the fact that a community will allow small, you know, young girls to be married off at 10, 9 years old, I mean, it's, we have a broken system. So before we get into schools, before we get into government, I mean, we have to ask ourselves at home, what are we doing for our children? What about the mental health crisis that we have? That now the trauma is being inherited by the young people because already their parents have not dealt with their own traumas and their own mental health crises. So even as we talk about dealing with young people, the parents have to acknowledge that they have issues they have to solve because they are passing them down to our kids and then who in turn end up having uh, families that have not, they're not planned for and end up doing the same thing. So we have a lot of that. But also to remind us that Nairobi, I always insist that Nairobi is not Kenya. A lot of the issues that we feel we can solve from, you know, the conferences, from podcasts, from having conversations, you know, on social media, these conversations are very different when you go to what we call the machinani, when you go back down to where the people are, the older men, the older women in those communities, they don't get this conversation that we get them. So the mental, mental health crisis is a it's witchcraft. What are you talking about? You know, deal with it on your own. So we, we also have to be honest about how these issues are, are affected. They're universal, yes, but they're not homogenous. Yeah. 
And and Farida, I mean, shoe jazz has been, I think, one of the principal ways of empowering, enabling, and and getting information to young people in the way that where they're at, literally where they're. I mean, and in literally where they're at through the through the comics. What do you see with the state of um, you know the next generation coming through in Kenya, and and how is that sort of a has that changed the way that Shujaz thinks about its work? I think the one thing Ashu does is we are trying to reach people where they are, as you're saying, Ben. And it doesn't matter where it is. So if if we understand where exactly they are, because I know most of the time people get excited about the digital space a lot. And most of the time people would be thinking that, oh, young people have access to smartphones, but that is not true. And that is why actually comic books for us is uh, such a key media platform for the young people, because Comic books are able to reach the guys who are not able to. We are, the guys who are not able to access smartphones. It's all about empowering young people, and we want to reach as many young people as possible. We shall figure out how to go to them. Whether it's through print, whether it's through online, whether it's through on-ground events, it's about which is the best way to reach them, and that is what we try to do. So, in the pod, um, in the focus groups that we did last week, um, it's so interesting that you 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 have brought. All of you, this this sort of emerging, uh, I don't know that tension is right, but there is a there is again a further balance to be thought through between you know the rapidly changing social norms that so much has been invested in in helping teenage girls and young women prepare themselves for that. A colleague of mine said that you know she felt that essentially it, we're seeing a crisis in masculinity, and that interventions that that engage with the boy child with teenage boys and young men i suppose um you know that those are critically important in themselves but they're also critically important as interventions to support girls and women and um i wonder if we could just sort of reflect on that for a minute and you know, Lillian, you you touched a moment ago on how we need to keep our HIV programming fresh and relevant. Uh, so, how are you seeing that you are changing your programming to to reach both boys and girls? We have to keep refreshing ourselves, and we have to keep listening to the people we serve. And a big part of our population is actually young people, adolescents, and young people, and that's where the highest um, cases, the new cases of HIV, are being seen. And especially amongst adolescent girls and young women. But the, I mean, this is all we have to work with boys and men. We've acknowledged that. And what we've changed in terms of what you know, as I said, you used to see us with all the tents everywhere, community promotion and get everyone to test. But now we're doing a lot more targeted testing or, uh, and information. So if someone is HIV positive, then they become like uh, the, the index case where we do some tracing and we'll be able to identify people's partners, whether it's male or female. That's one way that we are monitoring that. And and we are following what they're telling us. If they feel like that works, then it works. Or how do we work together to get them to test? Uh, the other thing we're doing is changing how we communicate. I, I like what you said that Nairobi is not Kenya. And even Nairobi is not Westlands or Kilimanjaro. It's we work a lot in informal urban settlements, and it's amazing how the disparity in information is for both boys and girls. We have um, a lot of now the what we call the slums, and within them poverty, gangs. So the boys are in gangs, and they have to have his girlfriends, 
were supporting them and looking at how do we work together. When we went to work in the slums here with our dreams program, which is empowering girls, admit that. <laughs> we were actually thrown out the first time we went into Korogosho and we were told that you're coming to spoil our girls and what is these things that you're offering and things like that. And we could not move forward before engaging, of course, the community elders and the, the young men and them telling us what they want and then also listening to the girls and seeing what they want. So by being able to do that and also working with those communities to do the programming themselves, we'll come in, but we'll set up within that setting and hire them as mentors, as facilitators, as even security agents um, is one way that we've been able to tackle it. So that we'll be able to identify what are the gaps the boys have and what are the gaps the girls have. But one thing we did as an organization, the funding you write was for girls only. And that the truth is girls were here, boys were a lot higher. And now then they became almost the same. And yes, it's true that in some ways we've seen that where the girls in some cases, like in our families, um, we are very poor family. And we would be able to sponsor the girl to go to school, but the boy cannot be sponsored. So we as an institution actually look for our own resources to make sure that they can also go to school. As one way of tackling that and getting the men and boys to support us to address HIV prevention for the girls within the community. Yeah. 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 I feel I feel like it's, uh, I, and I get where, exactly where you're coming from, but I, I again, I keep going back to the men shouldn't complain about, you know, organizations like LVCT and, you know, say, you guys are not coming to the boys. I really feel like the men also have a huge responsibility. I mean, for the longest time, we've had men who are in the top echelons of society who just can... Even now. Yeah, until now, they can move mountains if they wanted to. So all they have to do is literally, you know... Uh, Pick me up, pick up, pick up the men, make it your own responsibility. The issue we have a lot here with, and I feel for me with masculinity in Kenya, is more of a sex and sexuality issue. While the biggest issue that I see when I look at young men, when I look at men, my biggest issue is accountability, is responsibility. Because what's the point of having all these girls, you know, going to school, being trained, you know, being given resources, you know, to sort of be better in society, but then you have men who don't understand the concept of family planning. They don't understand the concept of contraception. They don't understand the concept of taking care of your children. So you, these girls will still come back home to the boys who are in the gangs. These boys who are trying to get some money around here. They will end up getting kids for these men who are irresponsible, who just will move out, uh, about life the way they want to. So we we have to also define this masculinity for me as as and begin on the axis of responsibility and accountability. I would, I know this would sound wrong, but but I'd rather have jobless men and women who are responsible and accountable rather than I will live life because I mean, whatever, whatever happens, happens. So it's a huge, yeah, disparity there. Well, hopefully, I mean, and I think this is, this is a trend that, you know, we're seeing in many countries around the world I'm originally British. It's definitely playing out in the UK. I live in California and oh my gosh, it is definitely uh, a profoundly important split that's happening. Uh, when we were meeting with you to help prepare these focus groups, you offered a story that really resonated with the younger groups, the, the, the teenage girls, particularly from 14 to 17. And that was the role of, um, let me get this right, the Buddha boys. 
Boda Bodas. Boda Bodas. Do you want to tell us what that was? Girls do not first of all exist in a vacuum, right? And we know that young people are extremely ambitious and they have a lot of dreams. Young girls want to f- go to school, finish school, and then get a job or start their own hustle. But we know sometimes that is not necessarily the path they're going to take. And the reason why there could be an issue with that part is because of unwanted pregnancies. And unfortunately, our notorious Buddha Buddhas are some of the people who are actually disrupting the path of these young girls because they will end up impregnating these young girls. And you find that the young girls, of course, they're not using contraceptives. And one of the things is not because they don't, they don't understand the methods. It's because when you listen to them, there are still loads of young people who don't think that if somebody has a baby, if somebody doesn't have a baby, if somebody is not married, they should be using contraceptives. So you find there is, there is this whole space that exists and we need to figure out how do we actually break some of those norms? How do we tell stories of, I don't know, amazing young people who are doing amazing things in communities. And for us guys, we, we, we like to call them positive deviants. So it's about telling stories of these positive deviants that are actually going to have an impact on the communities and the audiences that are following. Um, I mean, I absolutely love the story because it was about a uh, a teenage girl who had been um, one of the Boda Boda drivers was offering her free lifts to yeah. school. He then um, was offering her gifts. And then the highlight of it, he offered her a new pair of shoes. Uh-huh. But then he said, you know, there are, there's a return for that. Oh, there are awesome. favors. Unfortunately, yes, that is, unfortunately, that is how it is. And it was so interesting to hear the girls just discuss, well, how should, how should uh, this young girl respond? And what should be the responsibility of their family and their, uh, and their, and their broader community? Yeah. But also, a lot of teenage pregnancies do come from what you call consensual relationships. They're in relationships and the pressure is, if you're in a relationship, you have to have sex. Because how else do you prove that yeah. you, you love, love your boyfriend? Yeah. And the boyfriend will insist. So the gap we have seen is information. A lot of these girls just want information, and even the boys. So they don't know, and, and there's so many myths about what kind of cannot get you pregnant. Um, when they got pregnant, the boys would be like, but what you on your safe days? Yeah. Weren't you taking protection? Weren't you taking care? Why did you not know that you'd get pregnant? Yeah. They're like, this is a young girl who's probably never even had sex before. Yeah. Or being told things like, if you do it when standing up, you won't get pregnant. So we've not talked about it. We've refused as a country yeah. to talk about sex to our young people. And the result is that 25% of our pregnancies in the country are for those who are less than 20 years and some as low as 10 years. Yeah. Many of them 15 to 19. A lot have had school disrupted. So that's why every year during exams, it's a crisis. Oh, we have to do something. But the truth is, we don't. Yeah, there's, there's also a lot of grooming happening. I mean, you find those scenarios where, like the border guy who's taking them to school, buying them a pair of shoes. Chips. Or, pads, or even chips, pe- yeah. Again, like, the issue of period poverty. Yeah. So if, let's say she's 16 years old, she's in Form 3, the guy will probably never ask for sex for two years. He will literally groom her, you know, just prepare her to be a wife, literally. By the time she's done with her O-levels, yeah. And it's like, hey, so now how are you going to pay, pay back? I mean, she might be 18, like I say, she might be of consensual, you know, age. Yeah. But then it's like, yeah, now it's time to pay back. And, and we demonize sex for people who are a product of sex. We demonize sex so much that they, they, 
the only concept, and it's funny, I was having this conversation with some, some of my friends were saying, you know, until when you're in school, they tell you how the nose works, and how when you breathe, if you close your nose, you should breathe your mouth, and then it go to your lungs. But when it comes to sex, the only thing we have is page 32 of a biology book yeah, of the male reproductive system, yes. the female, and then that's where it ends. So there's, we, I, I am of the view that we need to have the conversation around sex with kids as young as 12 years old. Because if they don't get it from us, they will find it from some tablets. We will talk about keeping them away from the tablets. They will then, these kids, I mean, I grew up in the slums in Kawangware. How do you think these kids get to know about sex? They have all these Mabati houses where they literally have to peep yeah. and see two adults engaging in sex. So we're constantly keeping, away, keeping them away from sex, which makes them more intent on knowing what is this sweetness that these people are keeping away from me? So the infrastructure, the resources, the policy or the lack thereof, the hypocrisy within the church and religious organizations, because then also you find a lot of issues, a lot of these girls and boys who are sexually molested in these relig religious institutions. Yeah. So we don't want to talk about them, but the kids are having sex, the kids are talking about sex, the kids are thinking about sex. It's time to teach the kids about sex. I think for someone like, let's say, LVCT and Shujaz, I think the huge big issue here we have is, is the barriers that people are creating for us to not put this information out there. I know if LVCT tries to say, for example, we're going to have an open day in the middle of this town, they'll be called deviants and the devil is in LVCT. Well, the issue here is just break the barrier and this, this, this need for permission from governments that are not doing enough and the bureaucracy yeah. to help yeah. these people. You've all mentioned the faith communities and it's perhaps too simplistic to say this, but a lot of development aid has not factored in the faith communities. We've either ignored them or we've tried to to counter some of the things that they have saying. And, and, and I just wondered if there is a more nuanced experience that you all have seen with the churches. Um, I, just as, as you were talking, um, Anto, I was just remembering the... Uh, the only sex education my sister got at her convent school from Sister Thomas Moore, who told her, if boys look at you in a funny way, just cross your legs and say no. <laughs> wow. So, oh, the, yeah. The look. <laughs> the look, yeah. So, so, but are there examples of where the churches and the mosques, particularly in um, uh, the, the poorest of the poorest, where they provide so much uh, of a sense of community and a place for people, is there a yeah? You know, what are the positive roles that they've played? Uh, we've worked a lot with the churches and mosques actually, and they are very important. Our community is very religious, and we acknowledge that. And we can't come in with development aid and say we can't work with them. As, as you're doing the listening project, it's really listening and understanding which community do people come from. How is that community? What are their values? What do they believe in? And that's what we've gone in with. So uh, the church, and even Kenya generally, like on this conversation about sex, has been promoting a lot of abstinence. And that's okay. In fact, in our programs, we also do encourage abstinence or delayed sexual debut as much as possible. And that message mostly is delivered by church. So uh, the key thing here is, as that message is being passed, the churches that have done well have honest conversations. What is sex? And therefore, you should delay having sex or avoid it. And there's the, some who have been brave enough to actually have those conversations. And you see that 
the young people are more interested and are more inclined and are likely to listen and continue to maybe abstain or even prevent themselves from pregnancies and others. Uh, the, the flip side is now, unfortunately, sometimes we get to the point when we have a few who say, we cannot talk about sex, it's evil, and all that's really demonetized. So I think it's just having that balance. And we have to acknowledge that the same way we work with government and government facilities, also church facilities, a lot of our health facilities and schools are church run. And those become entry points for reaching people with the correct information. So we've, we have partnered and we will continue to partner with them to be able to deliver this information. And I think that is what's lacking, right? Because unfortunately, I do not have any positive stories of working with churches because what happens is that you find that, as I said before, it's extremely, sex is extremely demonized and the conversation becomes all about abstinence. And we understand that is not the truth. The, essentially, even that's why I'm saying that you find that young girls are saying that they're virgins, but they're not virgins. So if we can actually get loads and loads of these progressive churches and progressive pastors and religious people, then I believe that we'd actually be able to have better conversations. And we do know that, as, as even had said previously, like, the conversations around sex do not, do not happen in a vacuum. Unfortunately, we have to factor in the environment. We know parents are extremely influential to young girls and young boys' lives. Churches are extremely influential. And older sisters, aunties, it's about how do we actually incorporate all those different people in the environment so that you can actually have a very progressive conversation. Yeah. So before we wrap up, one final question. We're wrapping up. Yeah. We, <laughs> just, we just started. Uh, this conversation could run and run. <laughs> who, who said we're we are going? Where are we going? <laughs> so talking about influencers, who's influencing you at the moment? What are you watching? What are you reading or listening to that's catching your attention? Um, I mean, for me, I read a lot. Uh, I'm influenced a lot by Wangari Mathai. I mean, I, she's not, you know, an influencer. She's not even here. But I, the concept of just something small that, you know, that you can be able to, to take up and do in the world, uh, I, I think that for me is a, is a huge uh, responsibility over myself. I also have a life coach. Um, yeah, she, she was actually the producer of MTV Sugar. She's called Alison Giboene. So she's she's my life coach. I mean, we've... You know, you sit down and you have conversations with people who have been there, who have the social network and net worth to be able to really steer your life, regardless of what you want to do with your life. Because her role in my life is not to tell me what to do, it's to steer me to do what I want to do in the right way. But also I'm cognizant of the fact that a lot of people don't have that, that sort of infrastructure, you know, that sort of network. But I mean, from a social media, because I know young people who are watching or listening want to know, Anto, stop being deep. You know me, I love Rihanna. <laughs> I love Rihanna, the musician, the mother, the, you know, the fashionista, the billionaire. Those are the people who I look up to. In Kenya, I really, really am influenced by my peers, to be honest. Yeah. To be honest, the likes of Nick Mutuma, people who I have worked with, played with, you know, from work, play and live with. So people who are, you know, doing the most. So those are the people who influence me. And then hopefully Enshu Jazz. Uh, uh, of course. Yeah. And LBCT. Because my bro, by the way, my small bro, every Saturday. Oh. And he's like 23 now. Yeah. He has to get through Jazz. Oh, that's amazing. He's like, thanks to you, my the <laughs> national media group got money from my father because we had to buy that paper. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Farida. Uh, I think for me, it's my influence comes from different spaces, really. And one of the things that I really like, and especially now working with Shujaz, is you get to hear amazing 
amazing stories coming from communities. There are so many young people who are doing amazing things. And nobody is really sharing those stories. And just most of the time, because because I have that privilege to actually work with those young people. Every single time I hear those stories, like with all these different challenges they're going through, but they're overcoming things in such a manner that you never think about. I think for me, that is just extremely inspiring to me. Yeah. Lillian, who's inspiring you at the moment? Um, I read a lot. I, uh, and then I, I read widely, almost factual things, historical facts. I've just finished reading Mandela's book, The Long Walk to Freedom, which there was long, but very interesting <laughs> and very deep and made me reflect a lot on sacrifices and the responsibilities you have in leadership. But the, the ones who are influencing me at the moment, as I said, we're doing a study on teenage pregnancy in, in slums here in Nairobi, Viwandani uh, and Korobosha, and I have a team of girls that we meet regularly and find out we've walked the pregnancy journey with them. And they said some deep things I was like, wow, you know, there's a lot we've taken for granted. And um, like, you know, we're in our own spaces. We work outside in, in good offices and there's a lot that we've taken for granted. We don't listen to them. We don't understand that everyone has value and they, have, they, need, they want to be respected and to be listened to. And they have an answer to their problems and what's facing them. So they keep challenging us. In fact, one of the questions was, so you're doing your research, how is this benefiting me? I was like, okay, it's true. It's not direct benefit, but like right now for me, it's to give them a voice to be heard. They have the answers. When our ministers and others are talking about what needs to be done, I think sometimes we're going around it all wrong. Let's listen to them. Let's give them a chance to actually respond. Well, I'm feeling a, a, a little embarrassed now about what I hope will be influencing me. So as we've been driving around Nairobi, I have seen posters for the real housewives of Nairobi. <laughs> and my co-host Yvette Raphael is addicted to real housewives of wherever they are from. Yeah. And that's what she listens to, to send her to sleep for some bizarre reason. So I'm hoping to download and watch Real Housewives. Yeah, there's, there's a lady Nairobi. called Nina. She's my favorite. That's all I can tell you. Look out for her. Yeah. Well, well, thank you all so, so much. I mean, this has been a wonderful opportunity for us to listen. Um, I, I really deeply appreciate you giving us the time today. And um, I know that, you know, whether it's us or others will certainly be following your, your progress because this isn't just Nairobi. This isn't just Kenya. The lessons you have learned have really global applicability. So really grateful to you. Well, that's it for this show. I would just like to thank our director and producer, Nick Matuma from Giraffe and his entire team. Thank you so much. Thanks to our executive producer, Eric Aspera from Newstop Media. And finally, a big thanks to you. You can find us on all your podcast platforms and you can see us on YouTube and Spotify. Have a great week and a safe week, everyone. <laughs>